Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast all about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. This is our Friday show. We are talking about the news of the week, the biggest, the best, the boldest, and of course, the worst. And I have with me the team, the dream team, really. Natasha, hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing, Alex? Deathcore is good. Well, home. That, don't make fun of my Slack name. It's an inside <laughs> joke with myself. Uh, I'm doing good because I bought extra Americanos and extra donuts to power myself through this episode because I knew that Marianne Azevedo in Texas was going to bring the heat. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. I'm about to go have some more espresso myself. Is your Critically, machine? did your yeah. espresso machine get fixed? Yeah. It did not, but I was desperate and got a new one because how could I go an entire <laughs> week without espresso? Oh my God. I love you for that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there has been an espresso shortage at the Marianne residence. It has been solved with money, as many things are, uh, which is actually kind of the theme of the show. But to give everyone a quick look at where we're going, we're going to start with MetaMates because we can't avoid not making fun of that, if you will. Deals of the week include Roe. Airbase, and then what's going on with Deal? Regulatory challenges for crypto is our first theme. Second is personalized mental health care for women of color. And then we're going to wrap up by talking about cannabis. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this cannabis soda. Where was this when I was in high school? Let's make fun of Mark Zuckerberg for a minute. Natasha, um, first impressions of the new term for Facebook employees, MetaMates. Go. I wish I called it. Like, I didn't even realize when there was a rebrand of. Facebook to Meta, that they would also have to rebrand their employees from Facebookers to, as you said, MetaMates. And my first reaction is just like, now what are Square employees going to be called? Square got rebranded to Block. Yeah. Blockheads. Blockers. Blockheads, Blockheads. is the obvious. The problem <laughs> is Ro- Roblox, I feel like, is going to be fighting them for that one. Marianne. True. It's tough. I mean, so many follow-up questions to this rebrand. Yeah. MetaMates, Marianne. Hit me with hit me with your hot take. I mean, you know, I... Ne- I- I hated Meta to begin with, so obviously I'm I don't really care for MetaMates, and I have to say the most the best thing about it it's given us a lot of entertainment over Slack over the past few days. Yes, the uh, the best commentary that I saw about this on Twitter, and I forget who said this, so if this was you, thank you, and I'm sorry for not remembering your name, but they said you should pronounce it like a Greek philosopher, so it's actually Metamates. Um, <laughs> like makes it so much more badass. It makes like, it sound oh, so much cooler. Who yeah, just entered the cooler. room? Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, the Matamates are here. Fantastic. Good. Let's talk about the the theory of mind. Um, yeah. oh my all God. right. Listen, we can't. I, I could spend the whole show making fun <laughs> Actually, of this. Actually, same. But let's let's talk about some serious things. And uh, we have three deals of the week, as always. We've each picked the deal we think is the hottest for one reason or another. And Natasha is gonna kick us away here with a company that I didn't think we'd be talking about again. And here we are. So I am here to talk about Roe. I wrote about them a few months ago after talking to a ton of their employees about how, you know, a few allegations of like revenue stagnating, solid churn, and just the the inability for the company to monetize beyond their initial business, which is serving medication for erectile dysfunction. And at that time, they were valued at $5 billion. They came back into the news this week announcing that they have raised 150 million at a 7 billion valuation. I picked the deal because I think rarely at this stage you see a company one I guess raise around so much less from its previous round. I believe its previous round was 500 um 500 500 million series D and also it only raised from existing investors and it said that we didn't we didn't call that on ourselves. They they used that in their own wording. They didn't respond to any questions via email, which is fine. But that's kind of like the reason off the top for why I picked them. Okay, I have a, I have a guess here about this round. So raised five hundred million Series D March of twenty twenty one. Then they went out and bought some companies. I think it was WorkPath, Kit, and then Modern Fertility. Raised a bunch of money, bought a bunch of things. 
and then you get to indigestion. We just talked about this with Hoppin, Natasha, a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. and the, the the rapid accumulation of capital and smaller companies. Suddenly, they're struggling a little bit with revenue growth, as we've reported, lost some people. They do need to go public. They need more money. So what do they do? They just kind of turn around and go back to their old funders and say, we need another check. So is this a bridge round? Is that how we should think uh, about this? I don't know. I mean, I feel like they were trying to do too much. Sometimes when you try to do too many things, you don't do one thing very well. I do feel like this is kind of a save me type round. I feel like they're struggling big time and the investors recognize it. So they're like, here, here's some more money. Get yourself straightened out. Make this work. It's tough because like on one end, and tell me if I'm over-indexing on this, I, I see their valuation bump as like their counter argument to our doubts. On the other side, you guys both are spot on because I talked to current employees about the round and they are saying that some people are worried that this is more about runway than it is about ambition and capital to fuel more growth. And so I definitely think we're onto something. I just think that there's like that missing piece about valuation bump that I, I can't get past a little bit. How did they get valued at a higher? And not just a higher, $2 billion more. That's a 40% bump from $5 billion. That's, that's, that's not chump change. I mean, that's a double unicorn in one round that we're looking at from one perspective as essentially a, a, a salvation round. And yeah. on the other hand, it was a 40% valuation bump. Now, in the current startup economy, a 40% bump between rounds may seem modest, but that's because we've all become accustomed to insanity. It's actually several billion dollars of value in less than a year. That's it's impressive. I don't know how to square it up, Natasha. I don't, I don't know. It's another example that where valuation doesn't really necessarily line up with, with you know, how a company's doing. And I feel like there's probably a lot more examples of this out there, even that we're just not aware of. I think as we talked about with Hoppin and even Roe throughout this past year, it's not that we're in any way rooting for them to fail. I think tracking these companies as they get through these growing pains, because I am sure so many unicorns have almost an exactly the same story as Roe, which is part of the reason I wrote it and wanted to make sure I made that clear in that first story is like, this isn't unique to Roe, but it's a snapshot into what it's like to be at a high growth unicorn whose growth has slowed. And so this is a good data point in that way. And I hope they figure it out. They're launching two new businesses, Row Derm and Row Mind. So we're seeing them do a lot of like their a lot of what employees previously didn't love, which was throw more verticals at it. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. And Row, if you're listening, respond to my email. Row Derm sounds like some sort of like weapons grade poison. Like, I mean, just like, oh, no, they got hit with Roderm. No. Uh, okay. Last thing about this, though, I know we have to move on, but uh, Hims and hers did go public. I think it was via a SPAC, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I just pulled up their stock price just because I was curious. Oh, they let's are, go. They're, they're an analog in some ways to Row, and the company is currently worth four dollars and sixty cents per share, or about nine hundred and five million dollars, according to public data. They're off about a third in the last six months. So on one hand, we're seeing Row, which we know has had some issues, add two billion in value, and then we're also seeing a public comp decline into the under a billion dollar mark. And if you wanted to understand what's going on there, uh, tell us, because we don't know. We've been trying to figure that out for some time now. Okay, let's move on to talk about a company that is willing to be transparent about growth, but not transparent about dollars. It has specifically raised from a really interesting partner. Alex, tell us about Airbase from this week. So Airbase, to be clear, normally does share when they raise money, how much money they raise. But in this case, they actually put together a corporate round with Amex, which is a very interesting strategic point. But on the money point, 
we can't get too mad at Airbase because it's not really probably their fault. The larger company kind of gets to set the terms, I think, and what's disclosed in these deals. So boo Amex for not telling us how much money they put into it. But I don't think this was a round of similar scale to a traditional venture round. I think it's more of a partnership investment, if you will. And that's the real news here, which is that Amex is going to work with Airbase. Airbase is in the corporate spend market, along with Brex and Ramp and other companies, both here and Marianne's been covering quite a lot of these in Latin America and other geographies. And essentially, they're going to let some Amex customers use Airbase software, which I think is a pretty darn big deal because Amex is the biggest company in corporate cards in the world, I think. And Airbase is kind of the one of the scrappy upstarts, Marianne. Yeah, I think it's a huge deal for Airbase, really. I mean, to partner with Amex on this, it's going to really expose them to a lot of new customers. And there's a lot of companies out there that Amex could have worked with. The fact that they chose Airbase is significant. Can you guys remind me on the difference between Airbase, Brex, and Ramp? <laughs> okay. Uh, Marianne, do you want to take first crack at this? I mean, it's, it's getting harder and harder to differentiate, right? Because, you know, they're all doing such similar things and targeting very similar customers. Airbase is mainly looking at mid-market and early enterprise segments with customers between 100 and 5,000 employees. Brex started out mainly focused on startups, but now it's branching out and it wants to continue working with companies as they grow. And Ramp too, I, I feel like it's kind of working across the spectrum with a wide range of companies. It's getting harder and harder to differentiate. <laughs> Well, I mean, everyone's going to want to take as much of the market as they can. And, and and fundamentally, if you build a product that involves corporate cards and corporate spend software, essentially tracking outflows and so forth, bill pay and that sort of thing, you can probably use it across the corporate maturity spectrum. Frankly, there will be increased segmentation. But I think that the differentiation point that is the most important or salient for this conversation is charging for software. I know I've banged on about this in the past. Ramp does not charge for its software. It collects money off of interchange. Brex makes interchange and has a, a paid software product. Airbase has decided to give back all the interchange as a benefit and then focuses only on software. That to me is like the real philosophical difference in their approach to the market. Back to, I think it was Natasha's intro, Airbase's ARR from their software product did triple last year. So the metric that I care about the most, which is their software revenue growth, is quite impressive. I'm just kind of excited to see what Amex does here because it makes sense that Amex is doing this, but like, why wouldn't they just build their own software? Oh, well, no, come on. I mean, it takes so long for these like incumbents and legacy companies to try to build their own technology. It's so much faster to partner with and invest in a startup that's already done all that hard work. So, I mean, I, I don't think, I think Amex's strategy makes sense actually. And and they've done this a lot, right? They've invested in a lot of startups. They've partnered with them. This is nothing new. They do this and they are notorious for not revealing dollars. Yeah. Okay. So Marianne, dead on. That's exactly what MX Ventures Managing Director Margaret Lim told me. Here's the thing though. Airbase was founded in 2017. Brex has been around so long. I remember like two cycles ago when they were doing bus billboards in San Francisco. Like they've had five years and now they're just partnering. Like I, this is why startups kind of matter to the economy, right? Like it took five years for MX to decide to partner with a company that's been growing quickly for a long time because by the time it realized what was going on, it was too late to start building its own code internally. Innovators dilemma, blah, blah, blah. I want to make a super unsubstantiated claim right now, yes. which is that so Amex 
deal uh, is working with Airbase in a partnership, but it also obviously now has a percent of the company. And I'm wondering if like how often one we see fintechs collaborating in partnerships with equity being part of like the DNA of that, because it feels like a great deal for Amex. And I'm wondering if that's why part of the reason why they picked Airbase over Brex or Ramp. That was like my big question heading in is like, how often do we see a fintech wanting to give a percent of its equity to a big company like Which Amex? Which is kind of like a competitor. In exactly. A way. So yeah. I, I, part of me is like Airbase is definitely benefiting a lot from it. Amex definitely is too, but maybe they were the only two that could get on the same page. Brex has raised a shit ton of money and same with Ramp. Just to be clear, Natasha, you're asking for the other two companies in the space that we tend to think about as a trio, because they've raised more money, maybe they couldn't raise from... I, I, I'm, I, that's what I'm part of missing right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm jumbling my point a little bit. I think I'm what I'm trying to say is like we don't often see a partnership exist in like an equity transfer sense. Like the partnership can just exist, two companies benefit, that's how most partnerships look. The fact that part of the partnership is Amex getting a stake in Airbase makes me think that like this this partnership is better than most. And I'm wondering if it's Airbase's way as one of the younger companies of catching up with these bigger companies. Sure, we'll give a little bit of our company. This is totally yeah. unsubstantiated, yeah, by the way. But, I mean, <laughs> in the fintech world, I think it's more common than like oh, in, really? other, okay. in other sectors because there is so much, right, I guess kind of friction between the incumbents and the startups. And I think at the end of the day, and I hate that cliched term, but companies, giants like Amex, you know, they realize like they need to catch up. Right. And you look at Brex, you look at Ramp. I mean, they're valued in the billions. Airbase is awesome, but it's post money valuation last year was 600 million. So maybe it was just a more attractive deal for them. And maybe Brex and Ramp weren't interested in partnering with Amex. Okay, we have to move on to deal, but I'll throw in a couple last things. I think that in this case, the reason why, Natasha, they put capital to work in Airbase as opposed to just partnering is essentially the arrogance of incumbents. So if you're if you're Amex, you've made so much money for so long off corporate cards, and now there are these buzzy little startups around your business, and you're going to go work with one of them. You're going to let some of your customers sure. work with their product. How could they ever? <laughs> so you want to get some freaking upside from that, exactly. apart from just keeping your customers happy. So you want to have probably some equity in the company. I the, the way that Amex Ventures explained this to me was that essentially they thought Airbase had the best code. And so that was why they made the, the decision. But I, I think when we think about the dollar amount going in, Amex probably wanted as much of Airbase as possible because why wouldn't they? And I bet Airbase wanted to hold on to all the equity they could because they know they can get a way higher price in six months. So that's my read. Let's talk about the deal with deal, <laughs> oh, no. if I may. <laughs> Look, Danny's gone. Someone's got to do it. Marianne. <laughs> Thank you, um, Alex. Thank you. Uh, take us into one. deal. Uh, so Deal is a, is a remote hiring startup, meaning that it helps companies pay remote employees in a compliant manner. It makes it easier for them to do so because so many workers now are around the world. They were valued at $5.5 billion last fall, I believe, after a $425 million Series D raise. Okay, so the news. Let me get to the news. So now they're saying that they are giving their customers, who include the likes of Coinbase, Shopify, Dropbox a way to pay their remote employees. They can fund their payroll in crypto, starting with USDC. This is kind of a big deal, right? Because companies, what they do is they pay the invoice through deal. And historically, they've had to like pay cash or, you know, now they can say, okay, here's some crypto to fund. And now you go pay my employees over there in, in Asia. So Marianne, though, just to be clear, USDC is a stable coin that is pegged to the US dollar. So you're not right. getting paid in... Billy Bob's awesome Shiba volcano token that might moon. This is getting paid essentially equivalent one to one 
just in a way that takes advantage of crypto's uh, easier cross-border payments infra, if you will. And that was a question that I asked Alex Bouaziz, the CEO, co-founder. I, I said at first, before I realized that, I was like, I mean, is that a good idea as volatile, volatile as crypto can be? And that's why he said they're starting with USDC. It's, it's a stable coin. To point out deal, I think it was last summer, sometime last year, had given the employees on its platform a way to get paid in crypto. So that has been around for a while. But the fact now that employers can fund their payroll with crypto is new. I haven't heard of it like happening elsewhere. It may, but I haven't heard of it. Remind me the difference between funding a payroll in crypto and employees getting paid in crypto. Even though the employer's paying them or paying the invoice to deal in crypto, the employee can get that money in whatever form they choose. Okay. They can get paid in whatever currency they want. It doesn't have to be crypto. Got it. which gives a lot of flexibility on both sides, really. It's tokens all the way down, y'all. <laughs> um, so I, I, I see why using USDC as a way to fund international payroll could have some benefits. Like, like to be clear, I can see the reasons why that's good. But it's not very exciting because it's just a way to like make money move slightly faster using a stablecoin that's pegged to the dollar. Okay, 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 okay. What I really want to know is how strong the demand is from end employees to get paid in other crypto assets. And essentially, like, you know, how long until I can get paid in? I don't know. I'm on the coin market cap page. Flow, gala, the graph of or pancake swap, because then that's going to be the real spicy stuff. Like this is this is this is like the grown up version of crypto. I want the insane shit. Like, well, <laughs> I think I mean, Deal said that they've seen a 10 percent month to month increase in demand for crypto salary payments. Another quick point about Deal, even though it's not super related to this current conversation, they're one of those startups that are refreshingly transparent about revenue. Alex Boziz tweeted in December that the company in 2021 went from 4 million to over 50 million in ARR, and that is a massive, massive jump. So clearly they seem to be doing something right. I feel like this could be the future of their business, honestly. I feel like it's a huge deal that they are helping employees get paid in crypto if crypto takes off. I I don't know. It's one of those things that like, even if you're crypto skeptic, it's kind of delayed that there's no like clean way to get paid part of your salary in crypto. Um, I I made the mistake of tweeting that. and, And now my... My replies for anyone who's interested are full of another company, RollFi. To their to their point, they are also helping pay companies in pay your team in cash slash crypto. But someone pointed out in that same thread that it's not international yet. So I, I don't know. I, I'm really bullish on the idea of getting like even two percent of my salary in crypto if I was not a journalist. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I saw a tweet people tweeting about it, and Game Changer came up a lot. So um, I think I think it is a bigger deal than maybe some people realize, and. They're really passionate about this idea of giving remote workers to like level the playing field. Like I think for so long, remote workers in other parts of the world just didn't have the same access to benefits of being a full-time employee. And they seem really serious about trying to level that out. I think that's admirable. Alex, albeit he's probably not even quite 30 yet, says he himself has never worked in an office. Yes. Well, this Alex is 30, 32. And I have, and I have to say, I've also been the person who is the international employee of a company on a different continent and had to deal with this. And I dealt with this back when I was in college. That's how long ago it was. And the only solution was to get paid by PayPal and pay like an 8% cut of my income to them before I gave half to the government. So anyways, didn't have a lot of money in college is what I'm saying. 
Uh, but I, I'm excited to see this stuff get a lot better. I mean, Marianne, you and I are both remote first employees, if you will. So this matters quite a lot to us. But I just want to loop back to the top before we leave deal. Marianne, you kicked off by saying the company was founded in 2019 and it was last valued at five and a half billion dollars last October. Oh, my God. Um, so in two and a half years, five and a half billion dollars of value was generated and you didn't even blink. You just kept talking because that is the world we live in. Just pointing out how insane the last couple of years have been for value creation and uh, changing the world, if you will. Right. I mean, it doesn't shock us anymore. Uh, let's talk about crypto a little bit more, though. We have a couple of crypto notes that matter because we're tracking crypto regulatory challenges around the world. There's been news out of India. There's been news from the United States. Uh, where do you guys want to start with this? I, I think like the connection between what we just talked about and what India is up to right now is like, yes, deal is making crypto payments part of its strategy, but it's also working internationally. No one agrees on if crypto is legit or not. So I think it's smart of them to not fully pivot. My This might be the future of their business comment may age really poorly. But I guess as we are now moving on to like regulatory challenges across the world, India came into the news just weeks after they decided to propose a tax on crypto transactions yes. um, because a top official of India's central bank compared cryptocurrency to a Ponzi scheme. And they also su suggested a straight up ban. And so within two weeks, maybe we saw India on one side pave a very legitimate way to make crypto a currency that people knew could stand on its own two feet and then a top official saying that it should be banned. How do we yep. feel about that? <laughs> well, it just reminds me of China for a very mm -hmm. long time. I mean, going back to like, I don't know, gosh, 2015, 2016, like every three months there was a story that was like, China bans crypto and then China wouldn't ban crypto. And then it would come up again and again and again. And there's a lot of this kind of back and forth. In the end, China kind of did ban crypto, kicked out all the miners. And now Texas is becoming this, you know, Bitcoin mining hub for the world. It, it goes to show how long statements can take to turn into reality. And so we don't really know where this is going to land. But closer to home, we are seeing actual regulatory action become concrete, if you will. And Marianne, that was what we saw with BlockFi, who, who just paid an enormous settlement and were somehow trying to spin it as a win. Yeah, they had to pay $100 million in a settlement with the SEC. And there was a lot of claims that the company violated securities law. $50 million of penalty goes directly to the SEC. And then the other $50 million in the form of fines to 32 US states. Two interesting things about this. One, it really puts into question the future of crypto lending. And then two, what we kind of talked about is Interestingly, how BlockFi is kind of spinning this as a win, which we none of us really seem to get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of gives me like Uber vibes in a way where the early days were like, we're just so disruptive. I don't know what you mean. It's like the exact same tone. If you go to our story on the website, Anita added the statement from the founder and CEO, who I'll just say a really quick quote is from the day that we started BlockFi, we have always known that strong engagement with regulators would be critical for the adoption of financial services powered by cryptocurrencies. Today's milestone is yet another example of our pioneering efforts, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm just what? in awe. The sheer gumption of this. We got fine. We, we pissed off the entire United States, not just the federal government, but we had to pay $50 million to 32 different states, which, by the way, is 64% of them not counting territories. That's a lot of freaking states, y'all. It's a, Also, it's $100 million. That's a lot of money. And yet... I also will just say, I kind of get why it's a win, because they are going to manage to put together a regulated product that will allow for crypto lending, crypto staking, and the generation of more interest. You can, if you own crypto of a certain asset, provide it to an exchange, 
as a way to ensure liquidity at that exchange, and you will be given a certain amount of return for essentially lending out your crypto. And that's where they got in trouble with this particular product. It's a big part of the DeFi world if you care about it. But I'll just say that the, the BlockFi news goes to show that uh, we're not done seeing regulators at home combat crypto companies as they work increasingly ahead of the law, which is probably where they need to be to be innovative. But I mean, like, if you get find $100 million, you didn't win, you lost. This is just part of the pain of crypto going more mainstream. And we probably will see even more things like this. I agree with that. My takeaway is that the India example, the BlockFi news, to me are like actually very similar stories. There's this tension, but the tension is all in some way kind of legitimizing that crypto is important enough to have opinions on, which is kind of like messed up. But like, I think that people are on board to talk about it and navigate it. And that's different from in the past. I'm kind of happy that the government isn't excited and enthusiastic about it because that would make me feel uncomfortable. This seems like a better middle ground. I have, I, have a, I have an analogy for what Natasha described. Let's do it. So, have you guys seen The Expanse, the show? Yeah, I no, feel like I've heard no. about this. I think uh, Shram tried getting me to watch it and I just don't even... Shram is a man of fine taste and excellent uh, hair. Sci-fi, yeah. No. Not yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. All right. Well, anyways, uh, in, in season six, there's a character and he brings aboard his friend to the spaceship that everyone kind of hangs out on in the show. And she's not very well liked. And eventually she gets in trouble and the captain shouts at her. And then the captain goes away and someone asks her, why are you smiling? And she goes, well, I got shoot out, but he just called me part of the crew. Right. Yeah. And so right. it's kind of like, all right, all right, come over here. You get your noogie, your hundred million dollar noogie or swirly, whatever. And now you can join the, the real ecosystem. So maybe there's something here, but it, it's still it's still a noogie or a swirly or a hundred million dollar fine. I, I can't get past the amount of money we're talking about. It's a lot. It's like a very turbulent tide that lifts all boats. A like, very turbulent tide that lifts all boats. We just named the episode. There we go. <laughs> It's wild. Um, but let's talk about, I mean, should, are we done talking about crypto for we're done. Yeah, like I think two we're days? Done with, about crypto now. Okay, okay. cool. I'm done um, for the month, really. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the next theme um, because it's one that I've been following since I was in college as well. It's about personalized mental health care for underrepresented folks. And my personal anecdote before we get into the news is like, I just feel like it was so jarring to see the lack of diversity in counselors in college. And that was four years ago, three or four years ago. And it's been really great to now see a bunch of startups pop up in the space to, on one end, get more counselors and therapists fluent in serving underrepresented people and also create more platforms for underrepresented folks to go to. So the two news items that we should probably talk about is MindFi, which got a two million seed to create localized mental wellness programs for the APAC markets, and then also an app developed by She Matters to help train counselors to support Black women with postpartum depression. Yep. So two different approaches, but both exciting ones, I think. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, I want Marianne to jump in on this in a second, but I actually got to help edit uh, the She Matters story. And it was one of the most like an annoying things that, that I've read because in the story, our own Ron Miller uh, interviewed her and had some relatively longer quotes. She was talking about how she was told like that she shouldn't try to go into YC or an accelerator and all this. And she really just kind of flipped those people the bird and then went ahead and did it and is now in Techstars Seattle, Seattle. Marianne. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I love Techstars. Yeah, I was, I was really upset when I read that. And basically her quote was that she remembers being at NYU and one of the mentors said, you know, Techstars and Y Combinator, those are great accelerators, but you won't get in. And she was like, what? I won't get in. What do you mean? And that mentor said, oh, well, you won't get in because you're a black woman and your company is for black women. And no one really cares about that. I mean, I, 
the rage, of course, built up in me as I read that. And it just pissed me off so much. So I, I applaud this founder for moving forward and ignoring that terrible advice. I do think it's very interesting what she's trying to do with the app. Let's actually walk through about more of like what the app is thinking of. So it mm-hmm. wants to, like you said, Marianne, train, it has trained 180 therapists so far on how to better support Black women and their specific health problems. It has a community of therapists. It also has a 12-week certification program and therapists pay a fee to be on the platform. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like an ed tech program of sorts for Mm -hmm. mental health specialists, which I mean, yeah, I've I've actually never seen a strategy like this. I've always seen a startup try and do everything. We're going to have the therapist. We're going to teach them how to be better. And then we're going to connect them to the patients. Right. And change the world. <laughs> and, and how has that gone, Natasha? <laughs> I mean, the fact that there's not been a breakout star yet sucks. Yep. I think like the best we've seen on like tech enabled mental health is common headspace. And even they don't claim to be like mental health in the sense no. of like cultural competence. Right, right. They're not there I think yet. that's very different type of mental health help that they're providing mm-hmm. in my humble opinion um okay i can't help it i have to bring fintech into this sorry yes. but, oh i'm interested uh, now how <laughs> well i just kind of i view this similar to this rise of neobanks that are targeting very specific populations around the u.s right like there was one last year called cheese customers asian american customers welcome tech targeting immigrants greenwood underrepresented populations latinx and black there was a rise of a bunch of these over the past like year and a half raising money. And I thought it was an interesting approach. And I could see where these populations feel like their needs were not being met by like the big banks. And they might like working with someone who understands their culture better, who can speak to them more in their language. What I am curious to see, though, is how those companies are doing now, because those fundings happened the days that we're in relatively you know, long ago. So I'm kind of curious to see how they're doing. But I, I feel like this is a similar approach. Sometimes there's, it's okay to go after a very spe- specific demographic. But I feel like it's, it might be hard to reach that demographic. You're, what is the go to market strategy? That's always the big question. Definitely. I mean, when I was talking to another founder in the space, Natalie Walton, she mentioned that like, she was like, it's funny because I feel like a lot of these apps start off helping women who are new and expecting mothers. And she was like, that is a huge market. Sure. But not every woman wants to be a mom and just assume it. I guess building a product just for that is fine to start with, but you need to expand if you ever want to be like a venture backable business. And that's something that like, I just haven't heard articulated so eloquently because it's just like, yeah, like that is definitely a a, a, a sector that's going to willing to pay you and probably is searching in this moment because that pain point. But that is such a specific part of the portion. Not everyone wants to have kids. Alex, what's your take? I want to. Well, I, I pull up some data because I think this is the right question to be asking. How big is the market for black women who suffer from postpartum depression? Well, let's talk about some numbers. According to Catalyst.org, women of color will be the majority of all women in this country by 2060. And that number, of course, is going to is going to fluctuate based on demographic trends and so forth. And we'll see where it comes up. But but the point is, the market that we're talking about is is growing. And I know it's a little strange to talk about humans as a growth market, but I mean it with all due respect to our to our fellow humans. Uh, but the point is, they're not they're not betting on a, a shrinking market. It is a growing space. And if you think about the company, postpartum depression is admittedly a a targeted case for a targeted demographic, black women. But I, I don't see why the model they have couldn't be applied to other cohorts of women in other situations. Tudantash has pointed out women who don't want to become mothers, et cetera. There's probably ways to replicate this once they've proved it out. 
and it's early. I mean, they have only raised 300K. And um, I think, you know, Jade Kearney said she wants to raise another, I think it's 2 million in seed. But I mean, I think you could prove out their general model with that amount of money. This could be applied to women who are struggling to get pregnant, for example, or going through fertility problems, or women who've suffered miscarriages. I mean, there's a lot of pain in those in those experiences that people just cannot understand unless they've been through it. So I really like your point, Alex. That this could this could just be the beginning for this company, and they could really have potential to grow over time. Let's oh, end with cannabis. Yes, <laughs> the favorite. I think it's the first time since I've been on the show that we've talked about cannabis. It's tough to talk about it. I feel like because it's always like this. I mean, in some ways, it's the same arc, but. It seems like there's like some new op- exciting news items out there that's like actually making cannabis more mainstream. So I'm glad we're talking about it. All right. So a couple of news items. One is that Cansativa Group has raised money as Germany kind of gets its own market ready for a recreational cannabis market. In addition to a medicinal cannabis market, they want to put together what they're calling the, I don't know, the Amazon, if you will, of, uh, of cannabis, kind of like the back end infra. And the reason why this is on TechCrunch is they raised a $15 million Series B led by none other than Snoop Dogg's Casa Verde Capital. The House of Green is just a great name for a cannabis oh, VC firm. It so really is. Big fan of this. I just didn't think Germany was going to be ahead of Rhode Island in, uh, <laughs> in legalizing cannabis. Governor McKee, what the fuck? I know. I like forget that like it's not federally legal, not flexing or anything, but I'm like, Stupid I think I only travel places that have dispensaries now. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just used to it. Like shout out, shout um, out the West coast. <laughs> Mar- Marianne, tell us what it's like to live in an alcohol based society in Texas. Well, there's a lot of car accidents for one. <laughs> Sadly, that took a turn. That yeah, took a turn. Sorry. Um, okay, sorry. so the, the other news item on Happier <laughs> everyone's dying. Also, cannabis soda, which is the next item. There's a company called Can with two N's uh, that has raised $27 million for its cannabis infused drinks, expanding to Canada. Natasha, two milligrams of, K- of THC. A lot? A little? How much is that? The dream? The dream for me. Is two milligrams? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that is like the perfect amount. It's okay. also, I actually have like an anecdote from this past past weekend of like my friend who doesn't like weed at all but does want to kind of slow down with drinking she was she tried a cannabis soda unfortunately it didn't it still kind of was too much weed for her but I was like happy I guess it was cool to see things evolve from like just weed to really shady edibles to like fine edibles to something like cannabis soda which you can sip on not feel weird at at a party socially I was very excited to hear about cannabis soda I found this whole thing kind of intriguing, though, this concept of a cannabis beverage. I've never heard of anything like it. Again, it may, be, it may exist. I've never heard of anything like it. Um, so in addition to the two milligrams of THC, it has four milligrams of CBD. It's not cheap, right? Six pack of this eight ounce beverages goes for $20 in California. Apparently attracted a, a host of celebrity influencers. I don't know. Is it hip? Cool? Uh, no, no, this is not hip. Like dabs are hip. Cannabis soda, <laughs> cannabis soda is, is for old people, but that's why I like it. Like cannabis soda is designed for the casual cannabis consumer, not the, not the connoisseur of cannabis culture. If I can put more C words together just for fun. Um, I, I think this is neat. And also it's expensive. Yes. If you compare it to water, but if you compare it to alcohol, <laughs> like seltzer, it's cheap. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, I mean, it, uh, yeah, it's comparable to like alcoholic beverages for no, sure. If you go to a bar and you order like, and it's not like your local dive, you can spend 20 bucks on a drink. Or you can get a six pack of weed soda and stay home and be happy and not punch your friends. I think it's interesting, too, that like it, 
I've heard that Gen Zers apparently are not drinking as much alcohol as other generations. I think it's cool to see money going into this. Here's my question, though, and then we can go away. $27 million for cannabis soda. Yeah. It's, it's a D2C company. That's like, why does what it, I'm saying. Why does it need so much money? Because I these, I, I feel like these sub- celebrity influencers, you know, right? They're trying to make it like hipster and, and you know, just like this new thing. I don't know. It's a movement. It's not a yeah. product. It's a community. And we're going to be leveraging it into different products down the road. Okay. That's just me being rude. But actually, yeah, I don't know why D2C, but I mean. I guess we'll see okay. what happens. <laughs> yes, we will see what happens. Uh, but we are we are over time. The producers have told us uh, to be quiet and go away. So we shall do that. Um, we adore you all. But also don't forget that next week on Thursday, we will be recording Equity once again live on Hoppin and, of course, a number of channels around the web. Uh, it was a lot of fun last week. People showed up, asked questions. We had a good time. Uh, if you want the raw, unfiltered equity that includes the occasional gaffe or a deleted comment, well, we can't delete live. So swing on by. In the meantime, Natasha, Marianne, thank you as always, and uh, I guess we're out of here. Bye. Bye.